please turn with me this morning to Romans chapter 8 and verse 29. Romans 8, 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Well, friends, we come today to an amazing topic. Uh, We're coming to the topic of glorification, the glorification of the believer. Amazing to even think that we could ever achieve such a position, but it's all by grace, the glorification of the believer in Jesus Christ. This coming is our final study uh, in this series on the order of salvation as the end point of our studies, but glorification, we could say also, is the end point of redemption. That's where God, always the Father, intended for us. He intends not just to save us and to leave us saved, to bring us to heaven and not just to heaven, but to the new heavens and the glory and the amazing, tremendous, spectacular things that await the believer even there. Right at the beginning of this series, where well, we asked that question, didn't we? Uh, what is it that God does uh, in us when he saves us? What is he doing in us? How is that work of Christ applied to individuals? We know that it began in eternity past. We know that it began with God selecting, electing, predestinating men and women unto salvation. And then, we, but we were not there as such. We were not alive at that moment in time. But God knew about us. But in time, well, he came and he met with us at a certain point in our lives. We heard the gospel. We heard the good news that Christ has come and given his life uh, for sinners. And at first, it made no sense to us, maybe. We felt no need of it. But then a change happened. Then things began to be clear. Then we began to feel that this is important. Then we began to feel that God is real. What's happening? Well, you are being changed and you're being called by the Lord. That word that you left or ignored before and couldn't think twice to listen to, well, you began to listen with a lot more attention to it and a keener ear. You wanted to hear that God was working, effectually calling you. And closely linked to that we saw was regeneration. You heard because God planted, implanted new life in you, spiritual life within your soul. He brought you alive. But you were not there yet. You were not conscious of a change yet. That only led you to think about spiritual things in a more serious way. That led you to consider, well, I'm lost. And you suddenly became more and more concerned about your soul and the fact that well, I'm not reconciled with God, and God is not reconciled with me. If I were to die tonight, well, I would end up in hell. And that troubled you, and that disturbed you. And you felt, no matter what else was at 
was happening in your life, this suddenly became well, the most crucial and the most important, the most vital thing to you, to put your, uh, come into a right relationship with the Lord. And you were troubled over it. You were troubled over your sins and that you felt lost and you felt hopeless. And you would just cry to the Lord, Lord, save me. And that was your perpetual cry until he did. Until he did. And you turned to him in faith and repentance and you knew he changed you. You hadn't changed yourself. You knew that he changed you. You knew that he made you a different person. You felt it in yourself. You felt different. You felt uh, uh, that the Lord had forgiven you. He sort of gave you that assurance that you are forgiven and that he, yeah, you uh, belong to him. And then we talked uh, from that. Uh, we went on to talk about justification, being right with God, and then adoption, that wonderful doctrine. You're now a son or daughter of, of God if you belong to Christ. And then we looked last week, or a couple of weeks ago, at sanctification. And then last week, we saw about the perseverance of the saints, that if one is truly genuinely converted they cannot lose their salvation god keeps them and they keep themselves as it were by faith but ultimately god is the one who is keeping them well today uh, we come to this final stage in the process glorification this is the point friends that god will bring all believers to all believers are going to converge as it were into one meeting place where they shall be in the new heavens and the new earth. Every believer who has ever lived down through history, down through all the generations, no matter which country they were saved in and lived in and served in, everyone has, yes, gone to heaven, but everyone will converge and meet in this one meeting point. This is God's purpose, where we shall be, the whole church shall be gathered together and spend eternity it is his God and their Savior. This is his purpose. Now, friends, when we think of glorification, uh, don't just think of it in the sense of getting to heaven. Oh, when I die, I, I'm going to go to heaven. I'm glorified. Well, it includes that, of course, but there is actually much more. If I die now as a believer, well, my soul uh, goes uh, straight to, uh, to, to glory, to be with Christ in heaven. But my body, well, we know it goes six foot under. It goes down into the earth. It's left behind. This is what we call the intermediate state. And it's a state, well, for the soul, if I die now, yes, I enter into joy and into the bliss and the happiness of being with Christ. That's what Paul said. He said, I, de I prefer, this is, if you give me a choice, this is what I, my, my preference is. I want to depart from this world and to be with Christ uh, forever. That was his longing. But uh, our bodies uh, remain behind. But that's not how our final state is meant to be. Our final state is not, we're not meant to be around as disembodied souls uh, in heaven and uh, each one a disembodied soul. No, friends, your body also, the Bible teaches, is important. Your body also is uh, part of Christ's redemption. Christ's redemption includes not only your soul, but also your very bodies. Uh, your body and soul uh, will be raised up. Uh, on the last day, at that great uh, general resurrection, well, when all will be raised up, 
the wicked as well as the righteous, and then there will be a reunion uh, of the soul that has been, uh, of the soul with the body. That which has been separated will come back again together. This is what the Bible teaches. Uh, when we think, uh, so when we think of glorification, uh, we'll say a bit more about the body soon, but uh, when we think of glorification, friends, we have to use, as it were, a wide lens. Uh, we could think of glorification as the restoring of all things to their proper order. Now, sin has so affected our world. The fall of man into, into sin has so affected man and has so affected the world that we live in as well. Man, of course, we know, is so affected uh, terribly. People, including ourselves, we were like this at one, one point, refused to give glory to God, refused to give thanks to God, refused uh, to live uh, for the Lord. I will not respect Him. I will not submit my life to Him. I will not listen to what He says. I will not, I will close my ears to His standards. I will adopt, I will have my own standards for life. That's what I'm going to adopt. I don't want the Lord. That's sin. That's the heart of sin, rebellion against, uh, against Him. But not only are people affected, but sin has also affected the world that we live in. We read it in Romans chapter 8 about the creation groaning. <laughs> the creation groaning. What's all that about? The creation groaning. Well, you read it in Genesis 3. Because of man's sin, the, the earth is cursed. There's a curse on, on, uh, on the... We have thorns and thistles and... It's, we have all these weeds that come up when we want to plant fruit and veg and we have to work at it to remove the weeds and it's a constant uh, work and effort that we have to put in. Nature is affected by sin. Not only is the ground cursed, but we have floods, we have earthquakes, we have all these uh, different things which happen in our world. Well, that's the result of, uh, of man's sin. The nature suffers because of our sin. The earth, in this sense, is groaning. Extre the extreme heat that we're having, well, that's a result, really, of man's sin. Oh, you could say everyone's in a kerfuffle about, you know, the, 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 the weather and the heat and the temperatures are rising. Oh, it's all, uh, we have got to do the fossil fuels. Well, I don't know the science behind it, but I know, I'm sure, that it's also because of man's sin that we are having this extreme heat. No one says that. No one says, oh, it's because of our sin we should repent and turn away from, uh, turn away from our sins. That's why all this trouble is happening. And everything is just saying, oh, because uh, of uh, 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 us using petrol and so on, and diesel and all these other things. Well, maybe, friends, this is just an aside, but maybe, uh, this is my own thinking, maybe the extreme heat is God's way of warning us that there is another fire that is in preparation. Because the Bible speaks about at the end of the world, there will be a conflagration, there will be a great fire that is going to come and purge this world of all, uh, it's, uh, all the bad things which are in it. And perhaps that's just an ind indication to us that that fire which is to come is getting nearer and nearer to us. I don't know. It's just my own idea. That's my own thinking. Well, friends, the work of Christ, sin has turned this world upside down, but the redemptive work of Christ 
is, restores everything to its proper place. Oh, we don't see it now. We don't see it entirely, but that's the direction this world is heading in. In the, in the future, when Christ comes back again, uh, there will be a new heavens and a new earth. This same world as it is, the same heavens as it is, but it will be recreated, it will be purified, it will be made anew, perhaps it will be enlarged for the, so that every one of us can be on the earth. Uh, we, it will be, friends, a perfect world and inhabited by perfect people. Oh, that will be a tremendous place to be in. Well, we cannot expand too much on these things because we're thinking specifically about the work of the, of, of the Lord uh, in the believer, and we want to stay primarily with this thought. What will life be like for the believer in this glorified state? What does it mean that the believer will be glorified? Well, I have four points. And my first one is uh, glorification for the believer means entire sanctification from all sin and its remnants. All sin will be removed uh, from him. Uh, nothing, will be re nothing will remain. Listen to this, Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 27. Husbands, love your own wives, uh, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, listen, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. That's what Christ has, has, will achieve. Colossians 1, 28, the Apostle Paul speaks of presenting every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Perfect without any sin. Talking about our future state in glory. Hebrews 12 uh, which talks about that general assembly uh, of believers and the, the, us coming to uh, an innumerable company of angels and to God, the, the judge of all, and to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. That's what glorification means. Uh, uh, freedom uh, from sins. Friends, this is uh, amazing. In our glorified state, all sin, all impurity will be removed from us. No spot or blemish will be found in the believer at that time. The sinful nature will be eradicated. He will know sin no more. At that time, it will be impossible for the believer to sin, for those who are in glory. He cannot sin. He will not be able to do it. Evil thoughts will no longer disturb his peace. Impure feelings, resentful feelings, hurts will no longer trouble him and disturb him. They'll all be a thing of the past. He'll never experience that ever again in his life. His personal fight uh, with pride and self is over. It's over. In Christ, he wins that battle. The fight against sin is over. In this life, as we, when we talked about sanctification, we said, yes, we have to fight. But when we reach glory, that fight is over. We put down our weapons never to take it up again. The Roman soldiers, after they had done their bit, after they had served their time, usually the Roman soldiers, uh, they used to be allocated a place where they could retire to. A colony like Philippi, there were many of the Roman soldiers would be found there. 
And uh, for us too, there is coming a time when we will, as it were, retire from this fight. When we shall be, but that will only be in glory, not now. But the time when we'll put down our weapons and we will not anymore have this self and self-seeking and vain glory, this uh, a dog at our heels all the time trying to uh, affect us. And we want to serve the Lord, but we find this old man dragging us backwards. Gone. Gone. It's the thing of the past. For all eternity, oh friends, you'll never ever utter a harsh word again, never a cutting remark, never a nasty look towards another person. Every word that comes out of your mouth will be a kind one, will be a gentle one, will be a, a pure one. Every action uh, will be faultless. And then there's no sense in that, in that glorious place you will have no sense of guilt, no sense of failure, no worry about failure, no apprehensions, no regrets, no shyness, no inhibitions, no beating up of yourself as maybe you do in this life. All those things eradicated and gone. Glory, the glorification of the believer. It's hard for us, isn't it, to get our heads around? Perfect in Christ Jesus. Here we are sanctified, but in part, but then uh, fully sanctified. But then secondly, glorification, as we've mentioned already, is the redemption of the body. The believer is given a glorious body in, 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 in heaven uh, at that final time. The Bible explicitly teaches that there will be a resurrection of the body. At the general resurrection, when Christ returns, as we've said, uh, there will be a coming together of the soul and the body and that uh, glorious uh, reunion. But what kind of a body will it be like? Well, we'll come to that in a moment. In Romans, in, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, uh, if the spirit of, but if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also Quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Just as Christ is raised from the dead, so too will the believer. Philippians 3, 21. Christ shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Our vile body. That's what we have now. What does it mean? It actually means the body of our humiliation. Our body in this life is subject to all sorts of negative things. We're subject to uh, sicknesses and diseases and death. Uh, all these things are, are common to us. I wonder if you ever thought about that. Have you ever thought about the frailty of your, your body that you're carrying around? You know how subject it is to all these things. On the one hand, it's amazing. It's God's amazing creation with its trillions of cells that are in us. And apparently, I was reading that we, we lose billions of cells every day. And our body is, uh, many of our cells are uh, recreated or we have like, are regenerated every seven years apart from the, the cells in our brain, if, I, if I, uh, I, I understood it correctly. But all the other cells in our bodies, every seven years, they're, we're getting new ones, and it's amazing. <laughs> That's why it's finding very, very hard to, to uh, these people who tell us that we are come from, uh, from apes and come from 
uh, chemicals, and you what? We come from chemicals, and the chemical can do all these tremendous things. It's laughable, isn't it? It is, and they're serious. That's even more laughable. But anyway, uh, in, in our fallen state, friends, oh, we are so weak. This body really is so weak. And as we grow older, it seems uh, uh, more obvious to us. Easily bruised, injured, catch colds. You may go to the gym five, six times a week, and you may have a, a physical body, but you can still catch a cold. <laughs> you can still fall ill. Broken bones, accidents, all sorts. You can slip over and break, break a bone so easily. Injuries sometimes, sadly, beyond repair. All these things, our, our bodies, in this sense, are so frail and vile. Romans 8, verse 23, uh, also tells us we have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. We've talked, we, have, we know we are adopted uh, into the Lord's family as his children, but there's another future adoption coming, the adoption when we will uh, have those new bodies which are given uh, to us, groaning for the redemption of those bodies, bodies free from sin, bodies that resemble the Lord Jesus Christ's body. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know, we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's talking also about uh, his body. We will have a body just like the Lord's body. But what kind of a body will that resurrection body be like, that redeemed body? Will it resemble this earthly body of ours? Will people recognize me in heaven? We often ask. Uh, will I recognize other people? Oh, there was a preacher, and uh, he was on his uh, deathbed, and his sorrowing wife, crying, came and said to him, Oh dear, do you think in heaven that we will recognize each other? And he, his reply, maybe somewhat curtly, he said, of course we will. I can see and recognize you now, and I cannot think with our new bodies in glory that I will be more stupid than I am now. Right? <laughs> we will, isn't it? Of course, the Lord, people recognize the Lord. And so, uh, after his uh, resurrection, and I think, of course, we will recognize each other. Well, the Corinthian church were asking these kinds of questions uh, as well. And you can read the answers that Paul gave in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 49. I just summarize what he says. He says there, the new body, well, it's not going to be an entirely new creation. It's not going to be something completely new that God gives to you, a completely new body. It's going to retain something of its identity. Something of what it was like. Something of that present body will be carried over. It's going to be vastly different. It's going to be more glorious. And yet there's going to be some continuity uh, of it. Uh, some way in which it resembles the old. There must be if we are to recognize each other. And he tells us, he gives us the example of a seed uh, that's planted uh, in the ground. And uh, when you plant that seed, well, you don't expect it to 
uh, after, after it's grown to look exactly the same. You expect it to change after uh, it shoots through the ground and sprouts and, and begins to grow and uh, to produce fruit. Well, you don't expect, on the one hand, it to look exactly the same as that seed that was planted, and yet you also expect it to have some relation to it. Because if you plant a wheat seed or a corn seed or whatever you, uh, uh, you plant, you expect something similar to, to come out, to grow. And that's uh, what Paul is saying here. It re- just as that seed retains its identity and that plant retains its identity, so also with the body there is uh, some continuity. Yes, it is, uh, it is new, it is glorious, but it still retains something of its, uh, of its uh, identity. It's sown, Paul says, uh, in weakness, but it will be raised in power. It is sown a natural body, but it will be raised a visible body, a spiritual body. It's sown a contemptible body, but it's raised a glorious body. A body, friends, that can never die. A body that will never again fall sick. A body that will never age. A body that will never need to sleep. A body that will never be hurt or damaged. A body adapted to live in heaven and in heaven's atmosphere. Oh, friends, this is all uh, wonderful things that are prepared for the believer. A new, redeemed body, a glorious body. But then thirdly, uh, glorification uh, includes a fuller understanding of things. A fuller understanding, especially of the Lord, of our God, and of, of, of the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, 12, you know it well. For now, in this life, we see through a glass darkly, but then, then, face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. That's true, isn't it? We know so little in in this life. We know even the book is in our hands, but we know how, how much do we know of the Bible? How much do we understand of what is here already? We know so little. The preacher here knows so little of these things. We know only in part. How much do we know about God? We know him only in part. Only a small portion has been made known to us, and we know even of that small portion, a smaller portion. How little do we grasp who he is and fully understand it and appreciate it? Oh, we are so hindered by our minds and by our sin and our sinful nature. That's, but we are so weak in these things. And, but, and yet, some of the things that we grasp, we have to say they are wonderful. And they thrill our hearts. Even the very small things that we discover about our Lord and about the truth, well, they, they thrill our hearts in such a wonderful way and give us a joy that we cannot find in the world. And we are amazed and stunned. And all too often, too few times we should say it happens to us in this way. We wish we had more of those kind of experiences where we just, as it were, lifted up and so thrilled with what we hear about our Lord and our Savior and his love for us. And the tears maybe come rolling down our cheeks. We know it sometimes, but too, too few times. We know only in part. We've heard about the power of God. We've heard about his holiness. We know that he is a good God. We know these things, but we know in part. We know it's a very small measure. We know about his love. But then, then we will have a 
fuller understanding. I, would, I have to say here, you can never perfectly know God. It will, you will be complete in one sense, and yet it will be incomplete because you can never comprehend, even in glory, you will never be able to comprehend the infinite God. He is beyond our comprehension. You will have a fullness of understanding and you'll be ever growing in your knowledge of Him and ever appreciating Him in eternity. That's one of the blessings of heaven. But you'll never ever fully comprehend Him because He is even in glory beyond comprehension. If you could comprehend Him fully, you would be God. And that would never happen. Oh friends, Christ, how little we know of Christ and His glory. Oh, again, we've tasted a bit here. We've had some experience of it here, of his grace, of his truth, of his love. Again, as touched, it's delightful. It's delightful. We wish we had more of it. But then, in glory, we shall see him face to face. Faith will no longer be necessary. Faith will become sight for us, and we will see our Savior of believer in the Lord. This is the glorious prospect that awaits you. Then, you, now you see things darkly. Now you don't understand everything that's happening, perhaps even to you. But then things will become plain. Then things will become clear. Then all will be explained. Then all the riddles that you have in life will be explained to you. Then all the enigmas will be unraveled before you. And then you will understand why these things, things happened in your life. Then you will look back. You will be taken back towards your past life and you will be shown how the Lord delivered you at this point and at that point and the angels came to your aid at certain points and saved you and rescued you and you will be amazed. Amazed to see what God has done, the answers to prayer and the things that have... Uh, the questions you've had about Scripture, maybe even those things will be made plain and clear to you. All your questions will be answered. As the Queen of Sheba said when she went to King Solomon, he told me, he answered all my questions. He told me all that was in my heart. So it shall be in glory uh, for the believer. Well, fourthly and uh, finally, uh, glorification uh, is to have a share in Christ's eternal kingdom. A number of references here. I'll just give you a couple. Uh, 2 Timothy 2, uh, verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. We will have a share reigning with him, reigning in Christ's kingdom forever in the world that is to come. 1 Peter 1, uh, verses 3 to 5. We looked at it last week. Uh, Paul, uh, Peter talks about an inheritance excuse me, incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. An inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, fades not away, cannot corrupt, it cannot rust, cannot be stolen from you, is reserved in heaven for, for the believer. Oh, what is it, friends? What is that believer's inheritance? The enjoyment of eternal life. The enjoyment of endless, an endless supply of pleasures are, are given to him. The joy, you have to say also, social friendships, unfettered relationships, 
with our friends and our brethren who have gone on ahead of us and who we will meet there. Oh, every friendship in that time will be a perfect one of love and loyalty, no backstabbing, nothing of that sort. The believer's inheritance above all friends, though, is the Lord himself. It's God himself. Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. They shall see God. Amazing. God, this is your Lord. This is the believer's lot. Will we actually see God the Father? It's debatable. I think not. But I think we will see him in Christ. He will so make himself so known to us in Jesus Christ that it will be like we are seeing the Father. Oh, there will be no one to us. We will not be disappointed. But we will see God. We will see our Savior face to face, face to face, you personally, with your own eyes, will see him. Face to face, the hymn writer said, we don't have it in our hymn book, face to face with, my, with Christ my Savior, face to face, what will it be, when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ who died for me. Only faintly now I see him, with a darkened veil between, but a blessed day is coming, and his glory shall be seen. Wonderful friends, are you a complaining, grumbling, miserable Christian? How can you be? How can you be, friends, when you have such an inheritance waiting for you? Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher from last century, he said, if you're a grumbling, complaining believer, you deserve a, a spiritual thrashing. That's right, isn't it, I think? Friends, I close. Uh, this is the glorification of the believer. Uh, just a part, we've spoken of it today. This is what sanctification in this life is preparing him and her for. Freedom from sin entirely a glorified body that will never die, a fuller understanding of the Lord and of truth, and a share in Christ's eternal kingdom. Will you be there? Will you be there, friends? Are you a believer, or will you miss out because of unbelief, because of a short period of time, because you just wanted earthly things and these Glorious things prepared for believers. You shoot them away. Shun those things. Where will you be? Believe in the Lord. Trust in him. Serve him. Are you a believer? How much you owe and I owe to our Savior. Let's close by singing our final hymn, 621. The sands of time are sinking. 621.